0: If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. So today we'll be reading from Psalm 31. You can have your seats if you'd like. Psalm 31, verse 9 to 19. Be gracious to me, Lord, because I am in distress. My eyes are worn out from frustration, my whole being as well. Indeed, my life is consumed with grief and my years with groaning. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. I am ridiculed by all my adversaries and even by my neighbors dreaded by my acquaintances those who see me in the street run from me i am forgotten gone from memory like a dead person like broken pottery i have heard the gossip of many terror is on every side when they conspired against me they plotted to take my life but i trust in you lord i say you are my god the course of my life is in your power Rescue me from the power of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me by your faithful love. Lord, do not let me be disgraced when I call on you. Let the wicked be disgraced. Let them be quiet and sheol. Let lying lips that arrogantly speak against the righteous in proud contempt be silenced. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. In the presence of everyone you have acted for those who take refuge in you let's pray holy God our father our creator lover of our souls we thank you Lord that we can be in your presence this morning and worship you and hear from your word and taste your goodness we thank you for your word that is alive and active in our lives. We thank you for the opportunity to read it in English and um, learn from it. We pray, Father God, that uh, your spirit would just illuminate uh, your truth to us today, that um, you would show us more of who you are and more of how we can live rightly before you, God. We thank you for Hassan and that he's here today, and uh, I just pray a blessing upon him and his family and his life, and that you would use him this morning to help us understand more of who you are and who you've created us to be and how we can live in this world when there's so much around us that changes and um, seems broken Lord but just to know that you are unchanging and faithful we love you Jesus and we pray all this in your good and faithful name amen
1: All right. Um, Man, I don't even know where to start other than to say I appreciate the uh, warm welcome, like being from Texas. I'm accustomed to... uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm accustomed to... Southern hospitality, but having lived in in Canada for 12 years now, like I know there's a a north of the border equivalent to that. So, yeah, thank you so much uh, to Cheyenne and the the elders and everybody who's just so warmly uh, received, my wife and uh, uh, my two sons and I. Yeah, we're glad to be here. Pastor Marv and and I have developed a a really good friendship over the last number of years. I love that brother Um, as a co-laborer in the gospel and just as a good friend. So um, from a distance, uh, we've been um, profiting from the work and the ministry of uh, Hope Church, T-North, as I've I've known, learned that it's come to be called. So uh, thank you. We're really excited to be here. And um, yeah, we bring you greetings from right up the road at Thistletown Baptist Church. We're just around Kipling and Finch. And um, yeah, so thank you, the brothers and sisters down there. Thank you for... um, um, letting me come (laughs) and uh, share God's uh, word with you. So on that note, I want to jump right into it. And uh, we want to take a look this morning at uh, the Psalms, or at least one of them. And if if you think about it, uh, the Psalms are essentially a a divinely inspired hymnal. It's like uh, a hymnal where every single song that you turn to is handpicked by the Holy Spirit. So it's like if you were to put together a a playlist on Spotify, if you did that yourself, or if you let some computer with an algorithm do that for you, it might suggest to you, hey, these are good songs, you like this kind of music, you might like this, you need to listen to this. Well, um, the book of Psalms is the Spirit of God saying, hey, you need to listen to this. Like, this, this, is, this is a song that you need to hear. And so, um, we're going to look at that text of Scripture that was read um, just a second ago, Psalm 31, beginning at verse 9, and we'll work our way through verse 19 and see what God has to say to us there. Um, I, I don't know if this is true, but they say that, that listening to sad songs can actually make you feel better sometimes. I don't know if I've ever thought about it like that, but I kind of know what they're getting at. I like to listen to sad music on occasion, not the, I'm not on some like emo type stuff where I just walk around moping and stuff. But like, there's something about listening to to sad songs that at at times can be encouraging to the soul. And I don't know why that is or if that's always the case, but when it comes to Psalm 31, this text that we're going to look at, I can tell you for sure that that's definitely the case. If you listen to this song and, and you believe what it says, it, it'll be good for your soul. So let's direct our attention to Psalm 31, verse 9 to 19. This this psalm was originally written by King David, but, but it ultimately points us to King Jesus. And so if you listen to, to Psalm 31, and you walk away from this this song thinking that it's just about one man and his sorrows and and not ultimately about the man of sorrows, then, then you've missed the whole point altogether. Psalm 31 points us to Jesus. On the day that Jesus died, as he's hanging on the cross, he actually quotes from Psalm 31 Verse 5. Psalm 31, verse 5, he says, Into your hand, speaking to God the Father, I commit my spirit. And as he says that, that's not Jesus thinking, Oh, like it would be pretty dope if I just pull out some random quote from the scriptures to say right before I die. No, as Jesus quotes Psalm 31, verse 5, he's got the whole context of that song in his mind. Psalm 31 is all about someone who is in deep distress, and yet at the same time, they find themselves unshakably confident in the goodness of God. And so the main thing that I want to show you this morning from this psalm is this. Even in the midst of your deepest distress, our God is still good. Even in the midst of your deepest distress, regardless of what it is that you're going through, no matter how um, like hopeless it might seem, do not ever forget, brothers and sisters, that our God is still good. And there's no better place for us to see that, to see the goodness of God in the face of the deepest distress than, than at, at the cross. At the cross, it's essentially a situation where Everything that's going on at that point seems to be the exact opposite of good. And yet it's at that moment in in the deepest of distress that we actually see the goodness and the love and the glory of God at its greatest. And so we're going to take a trip back to Jerusalem. And I want you to bear in mind that because of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, because of his distress, you and I can be confident in the goodness of God, no matter what. And so from this text, Psalm 31, I want to show you two things about Jesus that are are pertinent for our lives. I want you to see Jesus, first of all, as a man who is confronted by distress, And even in the face of being confronted by distress, I want you to see that our King, Jesus, was still confident in the goodness of God. So Psalm 31, verse 9, it starts with something that's a pretty common experience in life. If you live long enough, at some point, you're going to find yourself encountering distressing situations. In fact, you live long enough, you're gonna run into multiple distressing situations. Like if you think about it, over the last almost two years now, like it's been rough for pretty well, like people all over the globe as we've dealt with this ongoing uh, pandemic. And what I want you to know, brothers and sisters, is that in the face of that difficulty, as, as many of us have no doubt began to feel, overwhelmed and and, and perhaps distressed, we need to bear in mind that God's word has tons to say to us in in the face of our distress. And and one of those places where we see the Bible speaking to us in our distress is Psalm 31. So notice what David says in Psalm 31 verse 9. What I'm working with is a little bit different than what was read. This is from the ESV, doesn't matter. But it says this, Psalm 31 verse nine, David says, be gracious to me, O God, for I am in distress. Other versions like the New King James version, for example, says, be be gracious to me, help me, Um, have mercy on me, for I am in distress. And so David begins, writing this psalm and he's speaking as a man who's in deep trouble. And we don't know the exact situation that David was encountering at this point, what kind of trouble he was in, but we know this much. Like I said, this this psalm ultimately points us to Jesus. So while we can't pinpoint what David was going through, we know exactly what Jesus was going through, the kind of distress and turmoil that he faced. In fact, as Jesus rides into town on that first Palm Sunday, he's distressed at the thought of his coming death. Jesus rides into town, sure enough, like everybody's going crazy. People are, are loving um, what they think he's coming to do, even though they have um, Jesus's whole mission misunderstood, but, but shortly after that, as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John, he says to them, my, my soul is, is sorrowful even unto death. Jesus begins to feel the, the distress and, and the sorrow of his, his impending death. And then by the time Friday rolls around, that, that very thing that Jesus found himself distressed by it's going down. It's about it's about to happen. And so it, it becomes a reality, this distress that Jesus felt. And verse 9 gives us the words of somebody who's looking to the Lord, looking to God, and expecting him to be the same as he's always been. Expecting him to be gracious that like that's just who he is it's in his very his his very nature and his character to be gracious and to show kindness and mercy to those in need Psalm 145 verse 18 says this it says the lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth so that that's a fact but when you read Psalm 31 it doesn't seem at all like that's the case. It doesn't seem like that's what David is experiencing. It doesn't seem like that's what Jesus is experiencing. Listen to the end of verse 9. It says, my eye is wasted away, or just wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, it says in verse 10, and my years with sighing." It's like, I'm, I'm crying so much, I can't, I can't see straight. I don't know if you've ever been at a point in your life like that where you felt the kind of sorrow and, and hardship that, that it was not just emotionally draining, but it was, it was physically, like it just, it wore you out. You felt like you were quite literally about to, to fall apart. We read about Jesus in Psalm, sorry, Isaiah 53 verse three that he was a man of sorrows and and acquainted with grief. Jesus got up close and personal with grief. He wasn't wasn't sheltered from the difficulty that you and I encounter in this world, living in a a sinful, fallen world. Jesus didn't float through life in a bubble, immune to that sort of thing. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And so his whole life was just this, as he's going through it, he's experiencing different hardships and different points of distress. But by the time he gets to the cross, it's like that, that distress and that grief gets, gets turned, it gets cranked all the way up. It says in verse 10, notice the end. It says, my strength fails because of my iniquity. And my bones waste away. And so David is is feeling the weight of his own sin. And as he feels the weight of his own sin, he feels God's righteous indignation against his sin and it's sapping the life out of him. But Isaiah 53 verse four and five tells us about Jesus that surely he has borne our griefs and borne our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Like the chastisement that brought us peace was upon him. Jesus was crushed not for sins of his own. He had none. He was crushed for our iniquities. When Jesus went to the cross... He was worn out, not just because he had been put on trial in the early morning hours, and then beaten within an inch of his life by both the Roman authorities and the Jewish religious leaders, but ultimately Jesus was worn out under the weight of your sin and mine. Jesus was crushed under the weight of our sin as he headed to the cross his bones wasted away as he felt god's wrath for us and what you have to understand is that this whole business about jesus about bones wasting away that's that's poetic language but but there are actually people who have a condition that's called brittle bone disease where it's quite literally what it what it sounds like people's bones like are brittle and they, they break easily. You even have uh, young children that, that are sadly born with this condition and, and it's something as simple as changing their diaper could, could be extremely painful and even like like just health wise very bad for them. Like changing the diaper, rocking them. You could literally um, crush these little ones in, in your hand. Well Jesus felt the weight of our sin, this this one who had never sinned became sin for us and he felt the wrath of God that that we deserve and he he was crushed under the weight of that. And all of this distress that Jesus felt, it it wasn't just something that he felt internally, It it was going on around him as well. And so notice what it says in verse 11. It says because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I don't know if you've ever had people just be freaked out by your presence. Every once in a while, I'm generally pretty, like kids, I don't know what it is, but kids generally, like they they like me. They sort of warm up to me very easily. But every once in a while, um, I think the, when the Lord decides I need to be humbled, I run into a kid and they're just like terrified of me. And it just like, it brings the, old, the, the pride down a few notches. But, but Jesus speaks of like people, like in Jesus's experience, there were actually people who, like they, they considered him a disgrace and a reproach. They, they, they wanted nothing to do with him. But it wasn't just that there were people that didn't like Jesus. There were also certain people who just didn't think he was worth paying any kind of attention to. You had people that that thought um, certainly Jesus wasn't worth being worshipped. Jesus was despised and rejected. He became a reproach and a disgrace because of his enemies, so people that didn't like him, and even people that were close to him. Like Jesus knew full well what Job meant when he said in Job chapter 19, verse 14, my relatives have failed me. My close friends have forgotten. Me. Psalm 31, verse 11 says, those who see me in the street flee from me. So there was this article a few years back that, uh, let me get the title straight, The title said, New Book Makes the Case That Jesus Was Likely Disfigured. And here's how that that article begins. It says, as the most painted figure in Western art, Jesus is mostly depicted as a beautiful, towering man with luxurious, long locks and dreamy, often blue eyes. I really wish people would stop doing that. But that's a whole different thing. A new book by British historian, Professor Joan Taylor, titled What Did Jesus Look Like? explores the controversial theory that the Nazarene was less than blessed in the looks department and may have even been been disfigured. And I'm thinking to myself, come on, man, like you don't need some new book by some historian to tell you that, like just open the Bible. Like Isaiah even says, Isaiah 53 verse two, He prophesied about Jesus. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In Isaiah 52, verse 14, it says, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So nobody was doing the double take with Jesus. Nobody was like, whoa, like that's a good looking dude right there. It It just didn't happen. And then by the time he was beaten and, and whipped and, and put through all of the torture that he experienced on the way to the cross, it was like he, he would have, in all likelihood, barely even looked recognizable as a human. He would have been horrifying to look at. Again, um, a few years ago, there was an article, I think it was, it was in the East End, I can't remember exactly where, I think it was in Scarborough, but there was this like tragic story about this 70 um, year old, she was in her 70s, this old, older woman who was um, crossing the street. She had the right of way and everything and she got run down by a transport truck. And as if that's not bad enough, the guy driving the truck just kept going, and it never even stopped. And as if that's not bad enough, a second vehicle actually came and and ran her over again and dragged her down the street a little bit. The officers that first responded to the scene talked and and reported how how gruesome it was and how it was it was even very difficult to to identify this woman given what what had happened to her and and. wouldn't want to, you wouldn't wish that on anybody. Like that's not something you would wish on anybody. That's not something that you would want to see. But on the day that Jesus was crucified, that's what happened to him. That's the kind of distress that he endured. He was so disfigured that, that people were afraid to go anywhere near him. Look at the next two verses, Psalm 31, verse 12 and 13. It says, I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. Jesus was condemned to death. The first part of verse 13 there, It's pretty much word for word from Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 10, where Jeremiah himself had people that were plotting against him and hoping for his downfall. But with Jeremiah, he got to the point where he began to question, because of all of this difficulty that he was experiencing, all of the hardship, he began to to question whether or not he was actually doing what God had called him to do. But Jesus, didn't question whether or not he was walking in obedience to what the father had done even in the face of difficulty and distress jesus was convinced of the goodness of god 1 peter chapter 2 verse 23 says about jesus when he was reviled he didn't revile in return when he was when he suffered he didn't threaten. What did he do? He kept trusting him, entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. In the midst of his hardship, even when confronted with unimaginable distress, even then, Jesus was confident in the goodness of God. And so that's what I want to show you in the latter half of this psalm. Jesus was convinced that God is always good and that he could always be trusted. So notice what it says in verse 14, Psalm 31, verse 14. It says, but I trust in you. O Lord, I say, you are my God. Psalm 31, verse 14 actually echoes back to the very first verse of the Psalm. So if you look there quickly, Psalm 31, verse 1. It says in you O Lord do I take refuge or in you O Lord do I put my trust let me never be put to shame in your righteousness deliver me and remember at the time that Jesus goes to the cross like this is what's what's ringing in his mind as he's hanging on the cross And you think about it If this is what's going through Jesus' mind, it kind of almost seems like, like, oh, I I trust in you, oh God. Like, don't let me be put to shame. It kind of seems like things aren't really working out that way based on how Jesus is being treated. With everything that he ends up going through. I mean, if somebody were just watching the situation, if you were an outside observer to what's going on with Jesus on the cross, you would think to yourself, like, man, like Jesus really got let down in this thing. Like, where is this God that he trusts in? Jesus himself even cries at one point from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But as I said from the beginning, those words, Aren't Jesus' final words? Jesus' final words from the cross are, "Into your hand I commit my spirit." And that kind of sounds like, okay, Jesus is saying, "All right, this is it. I'm done. I'm giving up the ghost. This is my last breath." Kind of, I don't know if you've ever watched. Uh, I'm a, I love to watch old shows. So, like, I'm a big Sanford and Son fan, and. There's tons of episodes where um, Fred Sanford, like he's convinced he's about to die. He's like, oh, this is the big one. I'm coming to join you, Elizabeth. He's convinced that he's going to die. But that's not what this is. That's that's not what Psalm 31 verse 5 is. That's not somebody just resigning themselves. Okay, this is it. I, I give up. No, Psalm 31 verse 5 is a dying man's declaration of undying trust in God. Like that's what's happening in the midst of Jesus being nailed to the cross. He says, in you, O Lord, the, the way the Psalm starts in verse one, in you, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to shame. And you might think to yourself like, like man, with everything that Jesus is going through, it kind of seems like, like he's being crucified. He's literally hung out to dry. He's being exposed like a common criminal. Kind of seems like Jesus got let down on that one. But you have to understand what's being said here. I'm going to lose everything that's on this little podium here before we're done, but that's all right. We'll make it. Jesus is not just sort of throwing in the towel. This this shame that he's experiencing, this hardship that he's experiencing. Like, it's it's not just that crucifixion is, is a painful ordeal. Like pain, crucifixion was intentionally meant to be not just painful, but, but extremely shameful as, as Jesus is hanging there, a- exposed. If you think about what happened with Adam and Eve, you remember in the garden, whenever they sinned, you remember the first thing they do instinctively they, they hide they, they want to cover themselves and that's because that, that's what sin does sin brings shame and and guilt on on all of us and so while jesus is hanging on the cross exposed and, and humiliated in front of a bunch of people like the, the most shameful aspect of what Jesus is enduring is that he is before the eyes of his father, the one that he has enjoyed perfect, unbroken fellowship with from all of eternity. Before those eyes, Jesus is now covered in the guilt and and, and the shame that, that belongs rightfully to us. But in Psalm 31, when it says, And you, O Lord, do I put my trust, let me never be put to shame. What that means is, Lord, don't let me be someone whose hope is is found to be empty, found to be worthless. Even in death, Lord, don't don't let my hope come up short. You are my God. I'm I'm trusting in you. I, I believe that you will take care of me. My times are in your hands. It says in verse 15. I don't know how many of y'all believe that. That the good times and bad are in the sovereign, all-powerful hand of a good and, and gracious God. Like that, that's true for, for all of us all the time. And, and this is personal for us, right? Like if you think about it, in, in your own life, I don't know... I met a few of you this morning, so the bulk of you I don't know or, or what, what your life is like these days. But as I said, common life experience at, at different points in life, we all encounter distressing situations. And so maybe that's you right now. Maybe you're facing some hardship that, that has you at the end of your rope. And when you get there, where, where, do, you, where do you turn to? Like in, in those in those moments, when when you have different things running through your mind, what, what sort of things do what kind of um, what, what are you feeding to your soul? So as I said, Jesus is is no doubt thinking about the, the word of God and his his relationship with his father. But when, when you find yourself in a distressing situation, where does your mind go? What sort of things begin to occupy your heart? Do you believe that good times and bad are in God's hands. And that even in the midst of the difficult seasons of your life, God is even then still working for your good. Even when Jesus was handed over to his enemies to be killed, listen to what Acts chapter two verse 23 says. Acts chapter 2, verse 23. Says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So you see these two things at work at the same time. And what that essentially tells us is that that, that God, God's hand is, is bigger and more powerful than human hands. And I know that's so like basic, that's Christianity 101. But but in the midst of difficulty, it's it's amazing how maybe it's just me, but it's amazing how even simple, like biblical truths that would be that would so profoundly shape how we live, like those things can just sort of like we forget all about them. Or or we we know them, but we don't actually live in light of those truths. We're reminded in Acts chapter two that even When these people are are doing their worst with with all of their power to Jesus, God, even then, is is working for good. And in fact, He's accomplishing the, the greatest good this world has ever seen at the cross. And so this is so helpful for us brothers and sisters to, to remember that to remember the difficulty that Jesus encountered to remember that even at the, the in the distress the deepest distress of Jesus being nailed and, and crucified to a cross, God is even there working for our good because that, that reminds us so when, whenever you begin to wonder, hey like what in the world what what good could god possibly be up to in all of the craziness that's going on in our world right now so shan uh um rem- mentioned um what's going on in afghanistan like what in the world could god possibly be up to in in the midst of that like in this never seemingly never-ending pandemic, like what is God doing? Is is He really working for the good of His people? Those are the things that we ought to we have to hold to by by faith, because God is 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 not one of us. He, he's not a man that He should lie. And so let's 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 take Him at at His word. And so whether and you can bring it you can bring it down from things that are going on globally, to start talking locally, all kinds of local problems, personal problems in the midst of that, brothers and sisters, we need to be convinced of the goodness of God. Psalm 31 verse 15, David cried out to God, rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors, make your face shine On your servant, he says in verse 16, save me in your steadfast love. But when Jesus is hanging on the cross, Jesus ends up hanging and dying under the righteous indignation of God the Father for our sins. Jesus wasn't saved so that we could be. Jesus wasn't saved so that we could experience the steadfast love of God. So he wasn't saved so that we could be saved, not from messy situations in life, but ultimately from the wrath and judgment of God that we rightfully deserve for our sin. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have hope beyond the grave, and so that we could know the love of God. That, that, that great and glorious love that, that nothing in all of creation can separate us from. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says this, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation, the propitiation for our sins. Jesus died to take away the wrath of God against us because all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And see, the only way for that to be made right, the only way for that, that problem that exists between sinful human beings and God to be, to be rectified is not by us trying to be good enough as if like our good deeds can somehow outweigh all of the wrong that we've done. No, the only way for sinful human beings to be reconciled to a holy God is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and his perfect life and his atoning death on the cross. Jesus' death is the only way for the wrath of God that we deserve to be taken from us. Psalm 31 verse 17 says, O Lord, let me not be put to shame for I call upon you In Romans chapter 10, verse 11 says about Jesus, everyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. If you put your trust in Jesus, your hope will never be found to be empty or or worthless. Brothers and sisters, hold to that. Like this great and glorious hope that we have in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished for us, who he is to us, even in the midst of our deepest distress. Verse 17 says at the end, Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Verse 18, Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. And so, what, what the psalmist is writing, David is, is assuring us of here, is that the judge of all the earth will do what is right. God will do what is right by those who trust in him and by those who don't. So, God will not let guilty sinners go unpunished. But, he will save and forgive and sustain guilty sinners who trust in his son. And that's good news. That's great news. The way the psalm ends our passage for this morning in verse 19, it says, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. Even almost two years after the fact, it still blows my mind how at the very beginning of this pandemic, at least when it started to really pop off here, um, you had all of these people who were just going crazy, like stockpiling all kinds of stuff, toilet paper, hand sanitizer, cleaning supplies, like anywhere you went, it was it was almost impossible to find that stuff a lot of times. And I remember reminding myself at the outset of this thing, like the way that people are are, are stockpiling toilet paper and all of this stuff, I, I just had this thought that in, in an infinitely greater way, God is, is stockpiling something far more valuable and, and useful to us. He's stockpiling goodness for those who trust in him. Like he, he's got a, a literal, like never-ending supply of goodness, and and the way the ESV reads, it talks about how he's abundant in goodness, and that's that's the difference between uh, a water faucet and and a water fall. And so God God has a, a waterfall of goodness in store for His people. And so brothers and sisters, whatever it is that you find yourself going through in this season, don't don't lose sight of that. Don't forget to remind each other of that. Um, w- w- one of the unfortunate parts of this whole pandemic mm-hmm. is it's become very easy for, for some of us to be in- insular and kind of fold in on ourselves and, and that sort of thing. But, but as brothers and sisters, we have a responsibility mm-hmm. to um, bear with one another and, and to bear one another's burdens. And one of the ways that we can serve one another as brothers and sisters is just to remind each other of, of how good our God is. And so whatever it is that you're going through, there's, there's I, don't, I don't know, like I said, most of you, but I could pick a brother or sister in this room and I guarantee you, like you have tons of stuff, tons of examples of God's goodness in your life um, that you ought to be thankful for if we would just take time to reflect on that. And so brothers and sisters, the, the, the clearest example of the goodness of God and his love for us is at the cross. And because of what God has accomplished for us at the cross, we we can be assured of God's goodness towards us always and forever. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. Help us to never forget that. We thank you for the goodness that you've displayed most greatly at the cross and in, in your son's death on our behalf and his glorious resurrection for us. And Lord, we, as we look to the example of Jesus and how he, in the midst of his distress, continued to be confident in your goodness, I pray that you would make the same thing true of us, that whatever it is that we find ourselves facing, that we would have this unshakable confidence in the fact that um, you will be good, you are good, it's in your very nature, and you are always working for our good in all things, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.